Have your Bibles, please take them and turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. As we continue our series, God meant it for good. The life of Joseph. Genesis chapter 37. We'll begin reading this morning at verse number five. Genesis chapter 37, verse five. The Bible says therein Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it his brethren and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them here, I pray you this dream which I have dreamed for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and lo, my sheep arose and also stood upright and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaves. And his brethren said to him, shalt thou indeed reign over us or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance, obeisance to me. And he told it to his father. And to his brethren and his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. We'll stop our reading there. We're going to study the rest of that passage. We'll stop reading there this morning. Let's pause and ask God's help. Father, we love you today. We praise you. Lord, thank you that you're trustworthy. We can trust you in the midst of the storms, the trials, the struggles of life. Father, I pray your help right now as we study your word. I pray the Holy Spirit will work in each and every heart. That you'll meet the need of each heart. Lord, use me today to be a blessing, I pray in the Savior's name. Amen. When Earl Weaver was the manager of the Baltimore Orioles and at the same time the bane of American League umpires, he used to charge up out of the dugout bellowing, is it going to get any better or is this it? And that may be what you're thinking as we studied last time Joseph's life and we looked at how messed up his family was. And to be honest with you, to answer Earl Weaver's question, it's not going to get any better. At least for a long, long time. In fact, things for Joseph are going to get worse and worse. You see, God here is preparing Joseph for what he has in store for the future. And as Oswald Chambers noted, God's preparation is dr definite, drastic and destructive. Think about that. God's preparation is definite, drastic and destructive. And A.W. Tozier was right when he wrote these words. It is doubtful that God ever used anybody greatly without hurting him deeply. Think about that. It is doubtful that God ever used anybody greatly without hurting him deeply. And before you respond negatively to that statement, you got to remember what R.T. Ketchum said. He said, your heavenly father is too good to be unkind and too wise to make mistakes. He's too good to be unkind and too wise to make mistakes. And God, while not condoning and not causing the sin of Joseph's brothers that we're going to read about today, he's going to overrule their evil to bring about great good. You remember those two key verses I gave you last time, I hope. 
Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, where Joseph says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day, much people alive. And Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And with those two verses fresh in our minds, let's turn our attention to today's scripture. And I want you to notice, first of all, here, the passage that we read, the very first part here. Notice Joseph is sharing his dreams. He's sharing his dreams in this messed up family. There was a tremendous amount of sibling rivalry. You had sons from four different mothers. You had a father who was playing favorites. You had a messed up situation. And the scripture is very clear, beloved, as to the feelings of Joseph's brothers for him. It states bluntly time and time again, they hated him. We noticed last time they hated him because of his evil report that he brought about some of them in verse two. We noticed likewise that they hated him because of a special coat that his father gave him a coat of many colors. And it showed in a very visible way that Joseph was Jacob's favorite. He was the most loved of all the children. He was most likely the one to receive the birthright and the blessing. And now this morning, they hate him even more. Why? Because of his dreams. Now, Joseph had two dreams we read about this morning. And by the way, you'll see as we keep studying, this is not the last time that dreams will play a part in the life of Joseph. But let's very quickly sum up these dreams. Dream number one, Joseph had a dream. He told it to his brothers and basically he said, your sheaves out in the field bow to mine. That was dream number one. Dream number two involved the sun, moon and the 11 stars. And they bowed to me. Verse nine. And the meaning of these dreams is very clear. You didn't need the wise men. You didn't need an interpreter. They understood what these meant. Dream number one. Here's the meaning. Verse eight. His brothers say unto him, shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? They realized what that dream represented. And then dream number two, the meanings in verse 10. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked and said unto him, What is this dream thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? Very, very clear. What these dreams represented. Now, in my opinion, at the very least, Joseph was unwise in sharing these dreams with his family. It was very obvious as you studied the life of Joseph so far that his brothers were not planning a surprise birthday party for him anytime soon. They hated him. And these dreams about them bowing to him. And then a second dream that includes his father and mother. Of course, Rachel at this point is dead. It could represent just that the mother or maybe Leah or one of the other ladies there. But they were going to bow down to him. It would only add fuel to the fire. But I do not believe, as some folks do, that Joseph was being arrogant and brash and prideful here. I think in all honesty, he was simply probably being just a little naive or a little immature. You remember, we're told at the very beginning of this chapter, chapter 37, that Joseph was 17 years old and young people dream. They dream and young people, they dream big. And that's great. 
We don't want to discourage that, do we? We don't want to discourage young people dreaming. Now, we can't encourage pride and we can't encourage arrogance or sinfulness, but we should be delighted that they dream and dream big. It's a part of youth. For those of you who are maybe 29 and holding, think about that. Think back to those days when you were dreaming. Maybe maybe I hope that you're still dreaming today. I hope you still have some dreams. All of us here, no matter what you ate, what, what your age is. You still dream. But in regards to Joseph, this is more than just fairy tale land. This is more than just something concocted of his own imagination. It's obvious here that these dreams were from the Lord. In fact, many scholars believe that it was it was these dreams that would help sustain him during all those difficult years. Some difficult years he's about to enter in this very chapter. You see, the path to Joseph's dreams went from a pit, then to a prison before he reached the palace. Now, we know what those dreams were and we know what they meant. And I want you to notice the reaction that Joseph received concerning these dreams. It says in verse five that his brothers hated him yet the more. Verse number eight, if we look at that, says at the very end there, they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Then verse 11 says that they envied him. They envied him. His father had a reaction to his dreams. It says in verse 10 that Jacob rebuked him. But I want you to notice something interesting in verse 11. It says that his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. I find that interesting. Jacob took note of that and just kind of registered that away, if you will. Well, fast forward. We notice Joseph sharing his dream. Fast forward now and notice Joseph serving his father. Let's pick up the reading at verse 12. And his brethren went to feed his father's flock in Shechem. And Israel, now Israel, of course, is Jacob. That was the name the Lord gave him. Uh, And Israel said unto Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem. Come and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, here am I. And he said to him, go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, what seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, they are departed hence. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. He's serving his father. Now notice Joseph was not in the fields with his brothers at this moment, keeping the sheep. Remember, he'd been given that special coat. That coat of many colors, it set him apart. It says you're not required to do the same hard manual labor. He was made the overseer, if you will. And now it's time to send this overseer to check on two things. Verse 14 says, check how your brothers are doing and then check how the flocks are doing. I know we've got some folks in here that keep cows and cattle and all kinds of things. And you're concerned about your herd. You're concerned about your livestock. And, of course, more than that, you're concerned about your children. And Jacob here, he says, go see how your brothers are doing, number one, and then see how the flocks are doing. Now, one has to wonder about Jacob's wisdom in making this decision. Surely he knew that uh, Joseph was not the favorite of all the rest of his children, or did he? 
I wonder at times if perhaps they didn't let their full anger out in front of dad. They didn't really show all their true colors and show their hand when they were in front of dad. I don't know, but for whatever reason, Jacob says, Israel says, Joseph, go put yourself in Joseph's sandals for a moment. Joseph. Yes, sir. Come here, please. Yes, sir. I've got an errand for you to run. Yes, sir. I want you to go and check on your brothers and your flocks. Yes, sir. And off he went. Now, think about that. They hated him. They could not speak peaceably into him. They envied him. They despised him. And keep in mind, we're not talking about just going outside and around the barn. We're not even talking about just going up the the road a mile or two. Ken Hughes said that geographically, his brothers were 50 miles north or approximately five days journey away. And then we find out they're actually in Dothan when he found them. That was another 14 miles farther north. Ultimately, Joseph would travel 64 miles from home, 64 miles. Now, the way you drive, you could do that in less than an hour, couldn't you? But remember, Joseph didn't go get in the family pickup truck, turn on the radio, roll down the window and speed away. When's the last time you took a 54 mile journey on foot? That's a long way. That's a long, arduous, dangerous, lengthy trip. But I don't find Joseph complaining. I don't find him looking for a replacement. Instead, he submits himself to his father's will. He's in fellowship with his father. He loves his father. He obeys his father. And remember, Joseph is an Old Testament type, an Old Testament picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we study, you start looking and you can see that type. Just today, we realize what? Wait, he's sent by his father. He's rejected by his brethren. We'll read later he was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Remember last week I told you, wherever you touch Joseph, you find Jesus. You keep your eyes open on that. He arrives in Shechem. He does not find them. Now, he doesn't go back. It says in verse 15, a certain man found him. He was wandering in the field. The man said, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? He says, I seek my brethren. Where are they? Verse 17 says, the man said they are departed hence, for I heard them say. Here's hearsay. I heard him say, let's go to Dothan. Now, notice this. Joseph didn't say, well, I went to Shechem. They weren't there. I'm going back home. No, he goes the extra mile. In fact, he goes 14 of them and he goes on to Dothan. Now, we see him sharing his dreams and serving his father. I want you to notice thirdly this morning, he's stripped of his coat. He stripped of his coat. Look at verse 18. And when they saw him afar off, but they there are his brethren. They saw him afar off. Even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit and we will slay or say some evil beast have devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Can you see this in your mind's eye, beloved? Joseph traveling there finally spots them, maybe even picks up his pace a little bit to make their way to them. And just as he spots them, they spotted him 
and all of their lives are about to change forever. You guys in this area are fond of nicknames. You just love them. And I, and I find the brothers obviously had a nickname for Joseph. Why, it says what in verse 19? It says, this dreamer cometh. They referred to him as the dreamer. They hated him and they hated his dreams. Now, I want you to notice the reaction here. Read those verses carefully. Notice what they're saying. They conspired against him to slay him. Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast have devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Can't you just taste the disdain in their mouths? And they said, behold, this dreamer cometh. Let's kill him. Let's slay him. Let's murder him and throw him in a pit. And we'll say, I think some evil beast ate him. That was their hearts. How did they get to this point? How could they get that low? Their own half brother. I want to show you the steps downward. I think you go back in verse four and you find what happens here. It says in verse four, and when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. I want you to notice they envied him. They envied him. He's dad's favorite. Dad loves him more. They envied him. Verse 11, likewise, says they envied him. And their envy turned into hatred. Over and over again, we read they hated him and their envy went to hatred and their hatred led to a desire of murder. Do you see it? Envy equaled hatred, which equaled murder, at least in their hearts. They were desiring to kill him. And it went back to envy and hatred. Dr. Erwin Lutzer said this. The deepest resentment I've ever encountered has been between family members. A shrewd brother who cuts his sister out of the parents' will. Or a divorced mother who will not allow her ex-husband's parents to see their own grandchildren. These and countless other family situations breathe the most bitter and malicious emotional wounds. Often the hatred is never resolved, but taken to the grave. Why? Because a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. Proverbs 18, 19. But listen, he says this. The root cause... Is often envy. The feeling that someone else is more highly favored. Listen, such bitterness is often coupled with a passion for revenge. The Cain and Abel story crops up in almost every family line. You know what we have here is a passion for revenge. But think about it, beloved. Revenge for what? What had Joseph done to them? It was not his fault that he was his dad's favorite. It was not his fault that he'd been marked with this coat of many colors. He may have been a little naive, a little immature, a little unwise to share these dreams with him. But come on. Enough to kill him. Enough to slay him. Enough in cold blooded murder to slay him and cast him in a pit. Now, thankfully, verse 21, Reuben heard it. And he delivered them out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. But look what it says. Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him. That he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Reuben steps in and says, hey, don't kill him. 
Just throw him in a pit. He can starve to death. We won't shed any blood. You'll be rid of him. But all behind that, Reuben had a plan. He says, I'll get him in that pit away from my brothers. Then later I'll go and get him and get him back to dad. Now look at verse 23. Joseph, not realizing he was walking to a hornet's nest, probably very easily walks or run into their midst. Look at what happens in verse 23. And it came to pass when Joseph came unto his brethren, they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. Instead of going for his throat, they went for his coat. That coat, that symbol of superiority, that symbol of airship, that symbol of the overseer, they ripped it off of him. And they did it with hatred and disdain. And they cast him into a pit. Maybe you're saying, well, preacher, where's Romans 8.28 now? How can God use this? They sinned against Joseph. Beloved, God will use it to shape Joseph into the man he wants him to be. Another writer wrote this. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so bold a man that all the world will be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways, how he relentlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay, which only God can understand while his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him by every act induce him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's all about. God is working. God is shaping. God is chiseling away at Joseph. Yes, he does not condone of the brother's sin. He does not cause that sin, but he overrules it for his own honor, his own glory. Now, what did Joseph do while he was in that pit? Put yourself in his sandals. You just came to check on your brothers. Hey, fellas, how it's go- how's it going? They take you and they manhandle you. They rip off your coat and throw you into a pit. Well, did did Joseph just resign himself and sit down there and sing Kumbaya? We just say, well, I'm having a bad day. Man, he just sit and ponder. No, we learn from another part of Joseph's story. If you go into chapter 42, verse 21, here's what it says. And they said one to another, Joseph brothers, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us. And we would not hear. Therefore, is this distress come upon us? You know what that tells us? That tells us that Joseph was down in that pit begging and crying and weeping and begging for mercy. Guys, please let me out. Please come get me. Please help me. Somebody. He's crying out in anguish. He's crying out for mercy. Joseph and all of his wonderful dreams are down in that pit. Wait a minute, here comes Earl Weaver again from the dugout. Is it going to get any better? Is this it? Sorry, Earl's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Because he's stripped of his coat, but notice, fourthly, he's sold by his brother in verse 25. And they sat down to eat bread. 
He's begging for mercy in a pit. His brothers are so cold hearted, so hard hearted, they go down and start eating. And lifted up their eyes and looked and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother in our flesh and this his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianite merchantmen and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit. And sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. They sat down to have a bite to eat, a little good time there. Maybe Joseph even brought this stuff from home, from dad. I don't know. They look and say, hey, there's some folks coming, some, some traders. And Judah gets a bright idea. Let's sell Joseph, get a few bucks out of him. Notice how caring he was in verse 27. He says, for he is our brother in our flesh. Well, good job for you, Judah. Way to be a big man there. (laughs) Let's don't slay him. He's our brother. Let's just sell him. Let's just sell him. And they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. Can you imagine that, beloved? That morning, Joseph woke up as the favorite son with a fancy coat. And by day's end, he was a foreign slave, probably tied to a camel walking to Egypt. Listen to me. If you think your envy and your jealousy are harmless little sins, think again, beloved. Look at Joseph. Look carefully as he disappears out of sight, being taken away because of his brother's envy and hatred and sin. I couldn't help as I studied this this past week to think about that old saying, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin is serious business, beloved. It's not something to play with. And one sin led to another. That's how it works. They had to cover their tracks. Look there again, verse 29. And Reuben returned into the pit. So Reuben wasn't around when all this was going on. He got him in the pit and he had to go take care of something. And his brother sold Joseph. He comes back, verse 29. Joseph was not in the pit. And he rent or tore his clothes. And he returned to his brethren and said, The child is not an eye. Whither shall I go? What am I going to tell dad? What are we going to say? Verse 31. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, this have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. Do you see how cold hearted, hard hearted these people are? They don't outright lie to their dad, do they? Right. They just put it in blood. Hey, we found this. Is this Joseph's coat? And let their father draw the assumption. Verse 33, and he knew it and said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast have devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces and Jacob rent his clothes, put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. We've seen this morning Joseph sharing his dreams and serving his father and stripped of his coat and sold by his brother. But there's one more thing I want you to see. And number five is this. I want you to see Joseph sent by his God. 
Look at the last verse, verse 36. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard, sent by his God. How do you say that, preacher? Genesis 50, 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day much, much people alive. Even though Joseph, while in Dothan, was 64 miles away from Jacob. 64 miles away from Jacob's protection. Nothing Jacob could do. He was not out of the protection of his heavenly father. It's no coincidence, beloved, those slave traders showed up when they did. They were keeping a divine appointment. Unknown to everybody there, Joseph, his brothers, themselves, all of them. God made sure that Joseph made it to Egypt and God made sure that Joseph made it to Potiphar's house. God is in control. And the sooner we learn that, the better. Perhaps you're in a pit this morning. Be honest now. You're in a pit. The storms of life are raging around you. Things are not going the way you want them to go. Things are tough. You're in a pit. If that's you, I want you to think about what I ran across this past week. One writer wrote this. When we're in the cellar of affliction... We should start looking for the wine of God's purpose. I like that's good. When we're in the cellar of affliction, we should start looking for the wine of God's purpose. Maybe you say, but preacher, you don't understand. I've been treated unfairly. I believe you, friend. And I'm sorry. So was Joseph. Let's be honest this morning. Real life is unfair. Ken Hughes put it bluntly when he wrote, here is reality. Real life is unfair. Real life deals out many inequities. Real life is filled with sin and sinners. Real wounds are everywhere. But the transcending eternal reality is that God is all powerful and that his massive providence is at work on his children's behalf. Life brims with hope and optimism. He says, as God's children, we must believe his word that God will work good out of past evils and that trusting him, trusting God, we will one day say with Joseph to past evils, as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. Like the choir sang this morning, I put my trust in the Lord. I would imagine Almost every person in this room, you've experienced some of those days in the pit. You've been wronged. You've been unjustly and unfairly treated. And I am sorry about that. I really am. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you've been doing that. But beloved, all of us have to come to the point. We give those things to God. We trust him. And we move on. Did you hear me? All of us as God's children, those who know Jesus Christ as Savior, you've got to give those inequities, those in, that, that unfairness to the Lord. Trust him. And move on. With this hell. If anyone had a right to have a pity party, he was in a pit. If anyone had a right to have a pity party or to play the victim, it was Joseph. But I don't see him doing that. 
I believe he held on to his dreams, but even more than that, he held on to his God. Was it easy? No. He was human. It was emotional. It was hurtful. Can you see him in your mind's eye being led away? His brethren are back there jingling their silver and he's being led off into slavery. Away from his brethren, away from his father's house, away from his dreams, maybe even he thought. But the Lord was with him. What about you today? What burdens are you bearing? What inequities? What unfairness? What pit are you in? Will you give those things to the Lord? Say, Lord, I put my trust in you. The other, the other glaring thing for this passage is this. We must deal with any envy, jealousy, and covetousness that is in our hearts. We must repent of it and forsake it. It is not a little sin. It is not something insignificant. I want you to see what it caused here. Envy caused hatred, which caused murder in their hearts and a passion for revenge. When we're envious and jealous and covetous, you know what we're saying? We're saying, God, you messed up. That's what we're saying. God, you don't know what you're doing. You should have given me this or that. I should have had that position. I should have been promoted. You don't know what you're saying and doing, God. Beloved, that is sin. That is wicked sin. Envy and jealousy is wickedness. Needs to be repented of. One writer pointed out, envy, envy is the root of almost every sin against our brethren. Think about that. Envy is the root of almost every sin against our brethren. If there's envy and jealousy in your hearts, here's what you need to do. You need to come to the Lord and say, God, forgive me. I repent of that. I know that you, God, are too good to be unkind. And God, you're too wise to make mistakes. Thank you, God, for what you've given me. And thank you, God, for what you haven't given me. Father, I'm going to trust you. Whether I'm in a pit. A prison. Or the palace. God, I put. My trust in you. I put my trust in you. Would you bow your heads for prayer, please?